I liked my wording on that. There was a specific reason for my wording on that. Because I want everybody to know that you're, t- you know, you run Arch and you're telling us all about it. I don't run Arch. It's in the, it's, technically, it's in the OS, so... <laughs> Which is Arch. <laughs> no, we run Arch. It, yes, but it did, I didn't do... I, 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 yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Midcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. I'm Joe, and it's starting to get cold here again. Hi, this is Tony, and I'm boosted. Seeking the fountain of package availability, I'm Norbert. And now, with 17% more verbosity, I'm Josh. And this is episode 374, recorded on Sunday, the 14th of November. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. First up in the news, Linux Mint Monthly News. Firefox 94 is released. SteamOS announcement. System76 desktop announcement. Intel has been doing this for a long time. And NVIDIA released a fix. In security, a Dutch newspaper gets hacked. Azure is vulnerable. Who would have guessed? AMD and Intel have more security flaws. Then in our wanderings, I work on an Xbox. Josh remodels a bathroom, Tony gets a new phone, and Norbert tells us all about Arch. First up in the news, Linux Mint Monthly News of November. Bug fixes to Mint 20.2 and LMDE4 for CJS, Cinnamon Screensaver, Muffin, Cinnamon, Nemo, XApps, Mint Report, and Bulky. One of the fixes in Muffin caused a regression resulting in games running away way over 60 FPS to experience system locked. That is still being worked on. Upcoming versions of XED and XReader will feature an option to hide the menu bar. Pressing the Alt key will temporarily make it visible again. XED also gained the ability to switch between open tabs using Control Tab and Control Shift Tab. System Reports tool will check to make sure that the system has been user merged and warn if not. LMDE4 will no longer use Firefox ESR and will track the standard version that Mint uses. I think that last one about LMDE4 uh, and Firefox is probably the most uh, interesting um, because De- we all know Debian uses the ESR of Firefox. So it's interesting that the uh, Linux Mint devs have decided to move away from that. Now, I- I'm not sure why, because uh, LMDE uh, tracks Debian and is supposed to be quite a stable version. Yes, but you also have to remember how Debian is supposed to be super stable. So even if you are using a testing version of, of Debian, it will be still fairly stable. So I don't think it sounds unreasonable for them to, to move from the SR version, because what comes to my mind is MX Linux. And what the maintainers of MX do is they take a couple of very popular packages and uh, have the latest versions of those in their repo. And everything else comes from the, the Debian stable repo. So I think if... Uh, LMD is moving to a, towards a similar direction, it could be a good thing. 
okay. Yeah, and although it wasn't in the blog, just to add to the uh, Linux Mint news for this month, they've also uh, added kernel 5.13, up from 5.11. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so anyone with newer hardware or you need some features in the newer kernels, that is available now. Cool. Okay. And Firefox 94, the release we've been waiting for. And in this, using about unloads will release system resources by manually unloading tabs without closing them. Linux features improved WebGL performance and reduced power consumption. Site isolation was introduced to better protect against side channel attacks such as Spectre. Malt account containers now have Mozilla VPN integration allowing each container to use a different server location. By default, it will no longer warn you when exiting the browser or closing a window resulting in fewer notifications. That last one's good. <laughs> yeah. I always get, I always get really cheesed off with all these pop-ups saying, "Do you really want to do this?" <laughs> and I think this is just an overall excellent update for Firefox. They've been getting slammed pretty hard lately for being kind of superficial on the changes, and uh, that's still present in the 94 release. They added some more accent colors and such, but this is a a really noticeable difference. I felt an immediate improvement in speed on a couple of the web pages that used to render a little slowly. So um, uh, that WebGL performance seemed to have really, really been noticeable. And uh, just to double check, I got onto Discord and uh, Leo had also reinforced that, said a couple of his pages that he'd visited had also been uh, more snappy. Yeah, the, also the... Um improve WebGL performance to reduce power. That's that's good because let's face it, the majority of people these days, if they've got a, a PC, it tends to be a laptop and they're, and they're not tied to a wire. So anything that improves battery life has got to be a good idea. Agreed. The performance improvements are the biggest thing in this update. But after that, what sounds the most exciting for me is the VPN integration in the container tabs. I started using the container tabs a few weeks ago and uh, my one complaint about those is that if I set a website to always open at a given container and I, even if I have syncing enabled and I go to my other device, uh, it doesn't remember. So the I think it being an extension means that it doesn't remember my settings from one device to the other. So if they, maybe I'm doing something wrong, but if it indeed doesn't have this function, that would be a great addition. And the reason why this VPN integration sounds really exciting for me is because uh, I would really like the convenience of to be able to browse a website with a VPN on and not having to spin up a virtual machine for it. So if this was implemented, I could route some of my internet traffic through a VPN and not have to rely on a, a virtual machine to have other websites coming in without a VPN. Have you um, tried Docker for that? Mm, no, it sounds like I should. Yeah, I use Docker for that, just for um, using specific VPNs, and I can set up multiple instances of each if I want to. But um, I have a, a Docker VPN, and then I have a Docker version of Chrome, which only uses internet through that VPN. So if the VPN's not up and running, it doesn't have internet access. I don't know if like uh, Mozilla, the VPN integration per tab has been, you know, uh, looked over to see if there are any errors or, you know, peer reviewed to see how, if there's any, um, leakage, but I prefer my way. 
I haven't tried uh, the Mozilla VPN yet. I've been using another one. Has any of you tried or used the Mozilla VPN? No, not yet. I'm still paid up on my current VPN provider for another year or so, but uh, when that runs out, I might give it a look. Okay. Valve says SteamOS 3.0 will be available for everyone to download and install. Valve yesterday held their Steam Deck development live stream on YouTube to share more details on the upcoming Steam Deck gaming handheld and the SteamOS 3.0 operating system it's running. During this, they announced that you will be able to download the ISO of the Steam Deck for your own hardware. Now, I find that interesting just because, you know, it's, it's another operating system for Linux out there. And I'm just wondering what the benefits are for running this. Uh, it's probably a stripped down system um, tweaked towards gaming specifically. So I assume that might be a little better than just installing Steam on a regular desktop. but I'm not sure. The other thing is it'll, it'll already be installed in the ISO. You won't have to go off and find the Steam client and all that. It's going to be there from by default, isn't it, in the OS? So everything should be set up to work with Steam OS, so your audio and video and everything. Not necessarily. Hopefully. <laughs> like NVIDIA drivers... And things like that, they're always going to be, you know, changing and, and who knows how well it's actually going to work or like hybrid drivers. I doubt that they've accounted for every type of hybrid driver that there is. So, ah, but this is Arch and Arch gets updates as soon as they're available. <laughs> I just did a kernel update to 5.15, 10 minutes before the show on this laptop uh, with Endeavor OS. And I think the SteamOS repos will hold back packages because it wouldn't be stable otherwise, because I'm pretty sure the NVIDIA drivers don't work properly yet with the 5.15 kernel. I'm also curious to see how they handle Proton in this. Will it be configurable like it is in the Steam client where you can select your version, go back to previous? Well, it's going to have to be. And for a lot of their games, you're still going to have to use the um, Proton beta version. So, Well, we're not going to find out until the spring, because actually the first Steam Deck doesn't come out then, so I imagine they're still going to be working on the the operating system until uh, the actual Steam Deck starts getting released. And if SteamOS itself will be available, I think it has great potential to become the go-to uh, gaming distro. Because right now there's Garuda, PopOS and Manjaro, I think, which are the more popular ones. And Garuda and Manjaro can be a bit overwhelming because Manjaro was my first distro and it actually broke a couple of times because of uh, updates. Well, you saw what happened to Linus when he tried to install Steam on uh, Pop! OS. It's bad to be fair when you install distro not using a net installer, so it installs packages from the ISO itself. The first thing you should do is do a system update, which he, which he didn't do, at least he, not on camera. I'm not sure if it would have prevented it, but at least now it's fixed. Yeah, and you know, he did go straight for the command line instead of, uh, you know, using whatever inbuilt there is for Pop! OS. But, um... No, he did use the Pop! Shop. He tried to use the Pop! Shop, which failed. Uh, and then he used the command line, which uh, had the same issues because the Pop! Shop is just a front-end for app, as far as I know. Okay, moving on. System76 is building its own desktop environment, not based on GNOME Shell, replaces current Cosmic desktop, primarily written in Rust. And here's a quote. 
There are things we'd like to do that we can't simply achieve through extensions in GNOME. Extensions in general feel like a hack. And what we want to do with our desktop differs from GNOME. So it's not like the option to merge Pop Shell and Cosmic into GNOME Shell would be a welcome thing. And that's from Michael Murphy. And yeah, GNOME definitely feels like, you know, it's kind of clutched together. Except when you don't have any extensions installed. I tried to do that for a week on Fedora. It's it's actually usable. One the one thing you really need to have it it doesn't have is tray icons. But if you're on a laptop with a touchpad, it's really usable. I have installed a couple of extensions since, but I try to keep the number to a minimum. The thing is that I really like Vanilla Gnome itself, but I also like what System76 does with their cosmic desktop. So I think PopOS moving away from GNOME is a great thing. Because it seems like the only proper way to embrace GNOME is to embrace Vanilla GNOME, as for example Fedora does. Well, I think there's been quite a uh, a lot of information coming out about this, and I'd say the tension in the air is palpable between uh, System76 and GNOME, and it was going to come to uh, a head at some point, and it looks like that's happened, and uh, they're going to be moving on. Okay, and in further news, Intel celebrates 50 years of their 4004 microprocessor. On November 15, 1971, Intel publicly debuted the first commercial single-chip microprocessor, the Intel 4004, with an advertisement in Electronic News. 50 years later, here's a look at its legacy and how the 4004 stacks up against a modern Intel powerhouse. And we have a link in the show notes, and you can check that out. Yeah, I thought this was quite cool. Intel didn't actually release their first processor until after the uh, Apollo program had virtually finished. <laughs> so what what does that say about the computing power of Apollo? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting read. And to see how far we've come in 50 years, it's really quite incredible from the process nodes to just the performance. It's It's quite incredible. It's a good read. Okay, NVIDIA 470.86 Linux driver released with VRR slash G-Sync fix. 495 driver series is as their new feature branch series with GBM API support. 470 driver series continues to serve as their production branch version. 470.86 fixes a variable refresh rate G-Sync regression that prevented DisplayPort and HDMI 2.1 variable refresh rate. G-Sync compatible monitors from functioning correctly in VRR mode. There's the new option, TAC-TAC, no TAC, PeerMem, for not installing the NVIDIA PeerMem kernel module. Peer memory kernel module is around GPU Direct RDMA peer memory support. This module, when paired with systems having a Mellanox InfiniBand host channel adapter, can allow peer-to-peer read-write memory to the NVIDIA GPU video memory. This is for GPU computing scenarios, but if you aren't deploying to such servers and not concerned about this peer memory capability, the kernel module can now be skipped over with ease. Good job on that one, Joe. That was a mouthful. It really was. <laughs> I didn't understand half of what you were saying. <laughs> Especially since, you know, it was being written, like, right before I read it. I, I wanted to make it easier because I realized how horrible my, my wording was on that. Uh. <laughs> so it would, have, it, it would have been even worse. But does it sound like NVIDIA is trying to appeal more and more to average users? Average Linux users? <laughs> I don't know about that, but... Uh... 
Can anyone get an up-to-date modern <laughs> card at the moment? No, not really. Breaking the bank. <laughs> right, that might be the biggest problem. I'm running, what, a, a, nine, a 960M here? So, yeah, not really. Well, I'm on NVIDIA. It's a 1060. And I really don't want it to, to break down anytime soon. Yeah, well, the 1060, the 960, definitely not modern, definitely still usable. And it's perfect for my use case, because I don't game, I just edit videos. I do game and it works fine. Well, for most games. I had a problem with like Watch Dogs too. I looked at some second-hand AMD GPUs, video cards, that are supposed to be on the same level as my NVIDIA card. And even those were kind of unreasonably expensive. Yeah, GPUs right now are excessively expensive. Okay, moving on to the security update. Dutch newspaper accuses U.S. spy agencies of orchestrating 2016 Booking.com breach. I don't even remember this. Yeah, I don't remember it either. The register, jointly U.S.-Dutch-owned Booking.com, was illegally accessed by an American attacker in 2016, and the company failed to tell anyone when it became aware of what happened, according to explosive revelations. Do we know anything more about this? No, we've got a link in the show notes to the full article from the register, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's obviously an old old story as far as the hacks concerned, but they're they're starting to lay the blame on uh, the U.S. to a certain extent. So, well, just because it was a an American attacker, I don't know why they're specifically saying U.S. spy agencies. Yeah, that's that's what I can't understand because it named a particular one particular individual in the article, right? Which, for legal reasons, I won't go into. I'll let the register stand that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and moving on, Chaos DB Infosec bods could pull anyone's plain text Azure Cosmos DB keys at will from Microsoft Admin Tools. Does it surprise anyone that there's security flaws in Azure? No. <laughs> According to the register, an astonishing piece of vulnerability probing gave InfoSec researchers a way into Microsoft's management controls for Azure Cosmos DB. With full read and write privileges over customer databases, the so-called Chaos DB vulnerability gave Wiz researchers access to the control panel of the underlying service that hosts Azure Cosmos, Microsoft's managed cloud document database service, they said. So do we know if this has actually been fixed yet or uh, is this uh, telling the world about it before, <laughs> before there's actually been a security update <laughs> i'm not sure i doubt that there's a fix yet okay amd reveals an epic 50 flaws 23 of them rated high severity intel has 25 bugs too from the register again microsoft may have given us a mere 55 cves to worry about on november's patch tuesday but amd and intel have together topped that number with fixes for their products AMD alone revealed 50 new CVE-listed bugs this week. 23 of them rated high concern, meaning they're rated at between 7.0 and 8.9 on the Common Vulnerability Scoring System. So are these hardware bugs rather than software bugs? If they're coming out of AMD and Intel, I have to assume that they are. So how do they tend to fix? 
fix them? Because if you've got that hardware that's got the bug in it, do you have to get rid of the hardware or is there a software fix to to kind of negate the vulnerability? Yeah, with all the ones from Intel, there were those um, patches at the um, what the at the processing level that um, you know really slowed things down, but then fixed the vulnerabilities. Yeah, it had to be done at the kernel level, and I believe uh, Linus did express a bit of displeasure towards Intel regarding that. So yeah, I kind of assume it's going to be the exact same thing there. More things to slow everyone down. Yep. Hooray. <laughs> and now on to the wanderings. This time in our bi-weekly wanderings, I fixed an Xbox 360. I finally took apart the two red-ringed Xboxes and found one with a BenQ DVD drive that was in really, really good condition. So I performed the, the driver board swap between that one and one of the Xboxes that simply had a bad drive. It now works perfectly. I wish the other one had also had a BenQ because the two that I have that um, need drives both need the BenQ. Well, the one now needs a BenQ. Um, I also looked into modding the devices and um, that I have and um, the other one, like I said, also needs a drive, but I will need to order some hardware for that to happen because there's a couple of different ways you can mod it, but it all requires some hardware in the middle to exploit the security flaws in the system or to emulate the um, DVD drive itself, but then be able to use like a USB um, thumb drive instead of an actual DVD. My son really enjoyed helping me take apart and put back together those drives and enjoyed watching me do all the soldering to move the wires over for the driver board. Now, not this last week, but the week before I was on vacation and I was planning on getting, you know, all kinds of projects done and everything, but I spent more than half of that vacation extremely sick and not moving much. And it really felt like I just wasted that vacation time. Like four of the five days, I was just miserable. But um, I got a replacement for my chair in the garage. <clears throat> I know it's a slightly lame topic, but I, I really enjoyed it. I was able to get a theater style recliner for free from what I've been able to find. This is a $550 to $600 chair when new and it is an electric recliner and it's got two cup holders and uh, two grounded plugs in one of the arms as well as two um, low power USB ports for charging. That being said, it was not really in that great a condition when I got it. The metal struts and the undercarriage that support the legs were all bent out of shape and missing some of the bolts that hold it together. I was able to pull those off and bend them into the correct shape and get them back into the correct positions and add some bolts so that they held there properly. Um, but after that, I found out that the uh, power cable was broken. So I had to fix that before I could test the electronics. That was actually a pretty easy fix requiring a bit of solder and some heat shrink. But the uh, power supply for that portion was also shot. Maybe it got shorted out or something when it got crushed and broken. So I ordered one of those for $13 and it started working just fine. Um, the chair also comes with a detachable table and other things that can be hooked into it and have one of the, I have one of the tables, but I would like another one for the other side for keyboard, mouse, whatever. Uh, the replacement tables though cost like 55 bucks. 
So I tried to design one of my own. I was able to make the assembly part that the tray mounts into and, and put a bolt into it so um, that I could add things, but the board that I had was way too heavy. So what I tried to do was to design a new mount that would fit in the oversized cup holder. The design was dimensionally correct, but the table was once again too heavy, even for the, the two bolts and the um, wider mounting position. I am looking at other boards that I could use for that at this time, because the board that I was using is polyboard and it does not do well being cut. So I can't just cut it down to size to make it lighter. It's going to fall apart if I do that. Um, there are also some other things that can go into that same mounting bracket that you can buy online, including a tablet holder that sells for like $62 and a wine glass holder that sells for $58. I'm not interested in those prices and I don't need a wine glass holder. So I'm going to design and articulate and assemble um, <clears throat> what will be used as a camera mount. Um, I have some phone mounts that are designed to work with full-size camera tripods. Um, actually I did design it and, and it would hold the correct size bolts to attach the phone mounts and it works very well. I actually used it on, I think, uh, last Saturday's show. The way I designed it allows me to control the angle that the phone sits at, but I think that I'm going to add an, an extension arm for more height and versatility and positioning. This articulated arm attaches to the cup holder adapter that I had made before. And I'm also thinking about using the second mounting hole that's there to attach another arm that would hold this microphone right here. But this is an extremely heavy microphone and that makes it difficult. Um, I also added some headphone hangers on the side <clears throat> next to the wall that were 3D printed. I think this was a really good use of that space considering the number of headphones that I have and the number of headphones that I work on. I also, I found a design on Thingiverse for an 18650 power bank. I have several of those 18650 batteries that are older but sitting around and doing nothing. So I ordered several of the boards that go along with it and started printing. Um, I probably ordered too many of the boards but they're cheap and I will have more batteries in the future. Um, those boards don't output the highest amperage, but they're useful for smaller projects like the flashlight that I converted to USB for my bike for when I go biking in the evenings. I printed these using glow in the dark filament, uh, mostly to use up the roll, but also because it's really cool. Josh, what have you been up to? Well, I, uh, threw away my old bathroom. With the remodel now complete, I began the cleanup process, and I had two heaping pickup loads that I took to the local dump, and that took care of most of the larger waste, so now I have to get my back patio into shape again. There's still a lot of smaller debris scattered around. And then a couple of days of high winds here in California resulted in some sections of my fence failing. I repaired what I could. But some of the sections were too rotted and I had to tear them down and also haul them to the dump. So it looks like I'm going to have to put in a call to my homeowner's insurance to get this fixed. I did a new compave on my ThinkPad X220 and installed MX Linux 21 over MX19. I found the installation went really fast and everything seems to be working fine so far. I transferred all of my data over and I plan to dig deeper into the OS this week. Uh, but so far, it looks like a really solid upgrade. On my desktop, 
upgraded from the 5.4 kernel to the 5.13 on Mint, which is the latest they offer. And uh, there wasn't really any drama to speak of. Everything's working and appears stable, which is the calling card of Mint, so no surprises there, really. I uh, started to look for a tablet to replace my trusty but long-in-the-tooth LG G-Pad X as it's slowed down considerably uh, lately. So with some recommendations from Joe, I've started to scour eBay for a replacement. I don't need anything too fancy as it's just going to be used for content consumption, like streaming movies and that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. It might also be good to get some ideas from um, Norbert because um, he uses a wider variety than I do since I only like things that can be converted to Linux specifically. Right, right, yeah. And it could be an Android tablet if necessary. But uh, yeah, that's about it for me. How about you, Tony? Oh, well, uh, yeah. Uh, as Joe al uh, alluded to earlier on, I decided this, uh, well, not this week, uh, last week, that I needed a new mob mobile phone. Uh, the one I was using was a Huey P20 Lite. Uh, I bought that off our old host, Josh Lowe, just before lockdown a couple of years ago uh, to replace my uh, smashed-up Nokia 6, which... Uh, I'm sorry, um, could you say Huawei again? Huawei. Okay. Did I Did I not say Huawei or Huey or whatever? Yeah, okay. Huey. <laughs> well, that's the way it's spelt. <laughs> anyway. That's what we're using. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, um, I got that originally to replace the Nokia 6 that broke, but uh, the P20 was stuck on Android, uh, Android 9 and hadn't had any security updates since uh, the end of last year. I think it was around October, November time. So um, I would have... Probably had a go at putting lineage on it, but there's no official image for for that particular phone at the moment. So uh, I decided, uh, uh, and also it doesn't support 5G. And although we haven't got 5G around here, I thought I'd, uh, I'd upgrade to a 5G phone. So I decided to go back to Nokia and I bought an X20, which is absolutely massive compared with the P20. Uh, it's got a 6.67 inch screen, uh, comes with 6 gig of RAM. There is an 8 gig one v uh, available, but mine's got 6 gig, uh, 128 gig of uh, internal storage, uh, as a dual SIM tray with the option to, uh, to use two SIMs or a SIM and an, an up to a 112 gigabyte micro SD card to expand the internal storage which I think would be uh, fantastic for most people. <laughs> I'm thinking of ordering a, two, uh, uh, a 256 meg one, uh, a gig one, because uh, they're reasonably priced at the moment on uh, Amazon. Um, like I say, we haven't got 5G uh, around my area at the moment. No, never, never order micro SD cards online. Always get them in person. Ooh. Oh, I've never had any problems uh, off Amazon in the past. Uh, well, maybe maybe it's the difference of, you know, the side of the pond that you're on, but I, I don't even trust Amazon anymore when it comes to micro SD cards. Okay, I shall think about that. I haven't, dro I haven't dropped it, uh, you know, pressed the button yet, so uh, 
I can I can have a look what prices are like in our local big box store uh, and see if they're compatible. But I also have a micro center close by, and that's a great place to buy micro SD cards. Yeah, um, the store that we used to have locally, uh, they went bust. So uh, I would have got I would have probably gone there because they were a, they were a good store. But um, the the other big box store around here that uh, does that kind of thing are. Um, oh, Dixon's PC World, and uh, I'm not very. Uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily have a very good experience when I go in there. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, Tony, I've ordered all of mine off Amazon, and I haven't been bitten uh, yet. <laughs> yet, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'll probably get one at some stage. Uh, I've got I've got a 16 gig one in there at the moment just to test it's working and everything's working at the moment. So uh, I've been living with the phone for just over a week now. I got everything set up. Uh, that was pretty painless, uh, as most things were backed up to the cloud via, via Google. So all my uh, contacts and stuff like that were were easily uh, easily restored. I needed to reset a, a few accounts, obviously because. Um, passwords to me banking app and things like that i still needed to put in when i reinstalled those um but uh, the only thing i didn't like about uh, uh, i found that i don't like about it at the moment is the default clock app uh there's a there's a quirk in the the way it does alarms and uh, i'm not very happy with it so i I still use that as the clock app, but I've uh, replaced it with a, uh, I've got a new alarm clock that I've set up that I can use for for using it for alarms because I tend to have a couple of alarms set during the day to remind me to do things. Um, but apart from that, so far, the only other thing I've done, I, I went out and bought one of these wallet um, cases for it with the uh, the tab that clicks over. So hopefully when I do drop it in the future, which I will, and I already have, <laughs> uh, it'll give it a bit more protection because it's a fairly thick, sturdy case. <laughs> and it, it gives me the advantage I can keep a couple of cards in with the phone just in case I forget my wallet. <laughs> so that's good. Moving on to other things. Ten days ago, I had my COVID booster jab and... Uh, was under the weather for several days, so I didn't join the Saturday show last uh, last week because uh, I was still feeling grotty. Um, but uh, that seems to have uh, eased up now, and even the ache in my arm's gone now. So uh, in about a week or so, I'll have the full benefit of having had the booster because they say it takes two to three weeks for you to get the full vac- uh, benefit of the vaccine dose or any vaccine dose. Uh, before your immune system picks it all up so that's good uh yesterday um i went out um with some family members met up with uh, one of my cousins who i'd not seen for over 40 years which was uh, great and we ended up having a long chat and exchanging what had been happening in our lives over the last 40 years which was quite uh, interesting uh, I got some sad news. Was uh, I learnt uh, a mother, my auntie, uh, was uh, in hospital with dementia, 
uh, as uh, the illness is quite advanced and she was uh, starting to have violent outbursts but, and her husband, my, my uncle, couldn't cope with her anymore because he's in his mid-80s. So uh, that's really sad but uh, I suppose that's one of the disadvantages of uh, getting to the, into your 80s that these things happen. And uh, finally... I think I might have found a, a Linux PC box that I'm considering buying. Uh, I was looking at Entraware, but the particular machine that I was thinking about getting was a, a massive tower, and they've not got it in stock. But um, Leo, a while back, got hold of a, a second-user Lenovo little micro uh, microcomputer box with a uh, AMD Ryzen in it. Uh, one of the older generations. But Juno Computers, they sell on your side of the pond as well, but also uh, over here in the UK, uh, do a Brutus 5000. And with the configuration that I want it, it's got an AMD Ryzen 9 5900 HX. And I've spec'd it up with 32 gig of RAM and uh, a terabyte uh, NVMe SSD. And it, it's working around 1400 quid, which is about $1,800, which uh, looks like a fair deal to me. Obviously, it's got, uh, it hasn't got a dedicated graphics. It's got onboard graphics. But Leo, uh, when I was talking to him, said the Lenovo box with the older chip was really good for, you know, for the kind of graphics that I'll probably use it for. So, um, yeah, I'm thinking of going for that. It's got HDMI and DisplayPort. Uh, monitor outputs so it should be good for a dual display uh, at some stage when I get around to getting a new monitor as well I can use this monitor and the and and whatever new one I get so uh, yeah I might go for that uh, it'll save me a few quid on the other system and save me a bit of space on my desk as well <laughs> which is always a good thing so that's my news for this uh, this fortnight so uh, what's been happening with you Norbert well, these past two weeks for me were quite uneventful. I guess times like that do need to happen sometimes in a person's life. But I did have a noteworthy experience that related to both Linux and university. Uh, so these past months I decided to keep around something Arch-based, always on my laptop, specifically for having easy access to numerous obscure packages that I need for university, which worked out well for the most part. But one day I was in a class where we needed to use a visualization software, which I really should have installed the day before at home and made sure it worked. But I may have become overly confident in the AUR. Someone in the same class who uses Debian mentioned that he needed to install dependencies manually by downloading them from packages.org. So I thought an AUR helper should take care of all that, especially because I successfully ran that same software uh, a couple of weeks before. But for this class, we needed a specific fork of that software. So in the middle of the class, I opened the terminal and started building it from source via Paru, which is my AUR helper of choice, which finished successfully, but then the thing wouldn't work properly. Finally, I gave in and rebooted into Fedora, which I installed on the laptop the day before, almost as if I had sensed that I would need a backup distro. I downloaded the RPM package, which conveniently was available for the program from the developer's website and installed it via DNF. It went without a hitch. It even pulled all the dependencies it needed from the repos, as opposed to allegedly on Debian, but it wasn't the case. So it was a case of the RPM being easier to install than the dev file, which was a nice surprise I had since I started using Fedora. 
Then a week later, I needed another package, which I could only get from the Debian repos. So at this point, I just decided to always keep around a Deb-based distro, an RPM-based distro, and something Arch-based. And I think this is a somewhat reasonable middle ground for maximizing package availability, because between Debian Arch and Fedora, I think I can get anything. And even if something goes wrong and I quickly need something, I could always just reboot to my other distro. So that means you're going to be triple booting, are you? Uh, quadruple booting, actually. <laughs> quadruple booting. <laughs> quadruple booting because I still have my Void Linux installation, which I keep run because of its low memory usage and how smooth everything is. Cool. So I'm torn. I'm torn between these four distros. And no, Joe, I'm. It doesn't. I uh, technically I am using Arch, but not using Arch itself. Ah, uh, that's splitting hairs. That is. <laughs> yeah, you're using Arch. <laughs> I initially tried Endeavor OS because of some NVIDIA driver issues that I couldn't work out on Arch itself, and it seemed to work better on Endeavor, and I didn't really see any reason to move back to Arch, because Endeavor gave me all the customization I needed. Well, as we say many times on this show, use what works for you. It doesn't matter whether it's called Arch, Endeavor, you know, Debian, whatever. If it works for you, that's the, that's the OS you should be using. <laughs> Look. I give people a hard time about, you know, telling us all about running Arch, but if Arch works, use it. I mean, I like Garuda Linux, but like you said, it's bloated, but I have more than enough RAM to run it on all my systems. Even Arch users are soft. If you really want to get into Linux, try Linux from scratch. Yeah, (laughs) and now I am not really multi-booting on my computer, but I do have to stick with both Fedora and Debian for my laptop, as well as Endeavor, so because I don't really want to be in a situation like that because I managed to launch the software by the end of the lecture. So I couldn't finish my work. I have to do it at home. So it's better safe than sorry. And I think that's all I have to say. Okay. Now on to the announcements. Our next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, the 28th of November. And we do have a link to get it converted to your time zone. Same thing, the next live stream, 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, the 20th of November. And we have the uh, converted to your time zone linked there as well. And in wrap up, I'm Joe. And if you want to hear more of me, I have a couple other podcasts. You can catch me at tllts.org. That's the Linux Link Tech Show or the Linux Lugcast, which is at linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe, although I haven't been there much lately. Um, you can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org, or I have a link for buying me a coffee. Tony? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Hacker Public Radio, host ID 338, if you want to go and listen to some of my old uh, musings on there. I'm on Twitter, TonyH1212. I'm TH at mintcast.org. And I'm on distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Norbert? You can write me an email at norbert at mintcast.org. The other, other Josh? <laughs> well, you can find me at uh, JT at mintcast.org. Shoot me an email there if you'd like. I'm Josh Thacker on Discord and at metal underscore foss on Twitter. Which is still the greatest Twitter handle I've ever heard. Thank you, sir. And Nishant wasn't able to make it today. You can find him, Nishant at mintcast.org, Ghost at Instagram, Ghost at GitHub, ghost.rykon on Discord, 
Maverick00783 at Steam. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, Hobstar for our logo, and NitRD for the image, Discord, or for the animated Discord logo, and Lunner for the time sync, Norbert for the audio editing, Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mincast.org and our backup Mumble server, Archive.org for hosting our audio files, HPR for, well, what was formerly our backup Mumble room, um, and the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Glenn! This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of The Mint. Just pretend you can hear the music. <laughs> <laughs>